Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Eddie Tate. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com. Don't sit down. You guys know better than that. It's me. Everybody should be standing. Everybody should be standing. I don't do this sit-down thing in the beginning. You guys know the drill. Get in position. If you haven't been here before, you'll get to know me. This is my thing. We've experienced the glory of God in this place, right? Has His presence been here? Can it come in greater measure? So I want you to do that right now. I'd invite it. Just say, Holy Spirit, come. Now, don't say it because I told you. Say it from your innermost hunger and desire to call him to a place that you experience the greater glory of his presence right now. Holy Spirit, come. I give you permission to ignore me tonight. I give you permission to have an encounter with God that supersedes what I'm talking about. See, I'm only going to talk about something that should be giving you some invitation to gain more of his presence in your life. But if he's encountering you, don't discount that just to hear something. So I give you permission to ignore me. How often do you hear a preacher say that? I give you permission to be messy. I give you permission to be free tonight. Some of you come to church bound up. You have permission to be free tonight. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear tonight. That's a good word for you. Just in fact, I want you to say this. Say, I have permission to be free tonight. See, I can speak it over you, but when you speak it over yourself, you invite that freedom to actually become real. Come home. All right, have a seat, sit down, levitate, fly, float, whatever you need to do. Lay down, I don't care. Let it be a good night. All right, so those of you that know me, I'm going to just preface this with how many times have I come up and said I had a message planned and then God changed it? I feel like that's my thing. I don't know if it's that what I planned, God's like, yeah, you missed, so I'll help you. But I feel like I have roots, I have a tree trunk, and we'll see what branches grow tonight. So I have the basis of something, but we're, we're going to find out what happens tonight. I'm um, going to bring a few scriptures. I'm not going to tell you where to go because I don't want to hear a bunch of iPhones being clicked because most of you didn't bring a Bible. Did I say that out loud? How many of you have a Bible? Hey, look at that. We are in the Bible Belt, so that actually fits better. How many of you bought a Bible even if it's electronic? How many of you do not have a Bible? Okay. Don't go to church without a Bible. It's like going on a date without a date. Doesn't make sense. Have your sword on your belt at all times. All right, let's start off in 1 Peter. How many of you know who you are? How many of you know your identity? How many of you are orphans? 
Okay, good. I just want to see if people are going to just say amen to whatever I said. <laughs> First Peter 2.9. And I'm going to say this one out of the Passion Translation. I love this verse. It talks about our identity as royalty, but I love the way the Passion Translation says it. How many of you like the Passion Translation? It makes me all feel good and fuzzy, and I like it. But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Come on. What I want to focus on tonight a lot of is you are God's chosen. You are chosen by God. Hold on one second. That's, 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 see, that's what he starts doing. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. How many of you know that you're no longer servants? How many of you have used that verse to not serve? <laughs> I'm a son, I don't need to do the dishes. See, the difference between, and what he's talking about, the difference between a servant and a son, or a servant and a friend, is that a servant does it out of obligation and duty. A friend, or a son, or daughter, does it out of relationship. See, the rules of religion become the pleasure of relationship. So I serve at a greater measure now that I know my identity as royalty. I serve in greater authority. I serve because I'm honored to actually serve my father and my king. It's not because I'm, I have to. It's because I get to. Royalty will lead like a servant. And it will serve with a royal mindset. Royalty will lead like a servant. But it will serve with a royal mindset. See, it will lead in the lowest of places but it'll serve with the highest of calling. Serving is where you actually learn to live out your royal identity. Serving is where you become you. See, we get saved and we're like, all right, what's the call of God on my life? I'm supposed to preach. I'm supposed to pray for the sick. I'm supposed to, yes, all of that is true. But the highest calling that you have is to serve. Matthew 20, it says, Yet it shall be so among, not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life ransom for many. Who's the greatest example we have in all aspects of our life? Three people knew the answer. Let's try that again. The answer is Jesus. 
Who's the greatest example of every aspect of our life? And he did not come to be served. He came to serve. He gave us commandments to do everything, but he was the example of what was the highest calling. John 13, Jesus, how many of you remember at, at the, the Last Supper, Jesus actually at the end, he takes off, his, takes off his robe and he gets out the water basin and he washes the disciples' feet. How many of you know that? This is, I'm interactive. If you haven't noticed, I want participation. If I don't get it, I'll come out there and talk to you. I'll make it real weird. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. See, I find it funny when people look at people in leadership and think it's weird for them to humble themselves and serve. We sometimes put people in a place where we think, you're now above serving. That almost sounded like what Satan did. He said, I'm above what God called me to, and I want to be known as more. See, the original sin was pride. It was thinking that you were above what God is actually representing. So when you say, I have now attained a place where I do not need to humble myself and serve, you've actually said, I'm better than Jesus. Nobody does it intentionally. That would be weird to say that with your mouth. But how many of you know that what your words are don't always reflect what you feel and mean? It's really how you act. And the way you live your life is actually the overflow of what your heart is really feeling. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and then he said, Do you not know what I have done? I gave you an example of what to do. See, one of the last times that Jesus was actually with his disciples, he finished that time with them, showing them what to do, which was to serve. To humble himself to a place where he honored them, served them, became below them in a place of action to actually demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like. See, it's funny how we talk about on earth as it is in heaven. I actually had a picture of this once. God showed me a picture where it was like if you had earth, a line, and then heaven, we talk about on earth as it is heaven, so we want it to come through that line. I actually feel like it just flips down because a lot of what we do on earth is, is backwards, from heavenly perspectives. See, in the kingdom, royalty means you become the lowest. You flip that down on the earth, its royalty becomes the highest. A lot of the way we approach life is we approach it from an opposite mindset of how the kingdom is actually designed. God wants us to humble ourselves to become the greatest. Pride will keep you from giving what you have while you're waiting for what you want. We want to be used by God. And we have these anointings and giftings and talents that God has blessed us with. So we want to go out and use those for him. And he's saying, just serve. But God, I can raise the dead. Yeah, just go take out the trash. God, I'm called to shape nations. Go serve in child ministry right now. 
shape a child, and then I'll give you a nation. If your outward life is the expression of who God is in and through you, then you're actually a superficial representation of what God wants. Your greatest ministry should be when people see you serving and say, that is the kingdom of God. Pride will keep you from giving what you have while you're waiting for what you want. Pride will keep you from giving what you have while you're waiting for what you want. How many of you have read the Bible? Yeah, I'm looking. How many of you are not going to raise your hands even if I offer money? It's funny how people raise their hands for that. It's like the opposite of what I ask. How many of you remember the story in Matthew about the wedding feast? How the king's son is going to get married, so he sends out his servants to invite them. He calls them to the wedding. He invites them to the wedding. And at first, everybody's like, well, I've got this going on. I've got that going on. I'm too busy. I have to tend to this. I have to do this. Some of them sounded to themselves probably very legitimate reasons. But you have to realize that tomorrow's regrets are actually today's excuses. See, when you make an excuse... When God calls you and you make an excuse of why you can't, it may feel okay today. But tomorrow, you're going to look back and go, I missed out on something, didn't I? In that story, he sends out his servants and the servants come back and say, nobody's coming, they're too busy. He sends them out again, nobody. Sends them out again, and then the people come. And the king comes out into the wedding and, the, and it's full but I love the way that that ends. That story ends. Many are called, but few are chosen. How many of you have been called by God? Okay, wait, we're going to do this again. How many of you have been called by God? And keep your hands up if you've been called by God. And what you're doing right now is how you actually answer and become chosen. You raise your hand. You say yes. How many of you guys have ever played, like when you were kids, you played a game where there's two teams, and you've got the captain, and the captain's like, who wants to be on my team? And everybody raises their hand, and they go, I choose you. I choose you. You get chosen by raising your hand and saying, pick me. Put me in. Let me serve. Let me do the thing that doesn't appear glorious in nature, but actually fulfills who I am in you. Your yes is actually how you become chosen. All of us are called. All of us are called. If you know Jesus, you've been called. If you don't know Jesus, you've been called. See, your perception of what he wants doesn't matter. What's true is true. He called you. But your response to that call, your yes to that call, your saying, pick me, is actually what makes you chosen. I want to be chosen by God. I love being called, but I want to be chosen.
I want my life to be full of yes, regardless of how much it costs. I think it's funny. God wants everything. When you said yes to God, he wasn't like, okay, I'll take Saturday nights from 6 to 9, and maybe a Tuesday if you like the equip class. A couple times a month, I'd like you to talk about me somewhere at work or on the streets. Yeah, that, that should be good. When you said yes to God, God said, good, I want all of it. I actually find it funny when, and, and I'm sorry, I might offend some people if I offend you. Um, I'm not going to apologize for talking truth, so. I love the conversation of tithing with people. Can I, can I give 10%? <laughs> Why do I have to give 10%? I can't afford 10%. Number one, it's not yours anyway. You're not giving anything. Let's just deal with that right away. But I think it's funny because you're like, God wants all of your money. He wants every dime of it. He wants every dime of your decisions. He wants every, every, he wants every part of your heart. He wants every minute of your time. He wants it all. He wants everything you have, everything you are, everything you were. He wants it. God, I want to give you my life. Okay, I don't want you to have that boyfriend. But, but God... That best friend you've had for 20 years, they're going to distract you from who I am. I want you to get rid of that best friend. God, you, you would never ask for that. I want you to uproot your family, and I want you to move to Austin, Texas, and start a church. God, that couldn't be you. <laughs> Trust me, that thought went through my mind. How many of you have ever heard God's voice and you're like, get behind me, Satan? He's like, um, no, that was me. Or you act, how many of you have kids? So if you have kids, you know what selective hearing is. You talk to your kids and they somehow don't hear anything, like they've gone deaf. Or they respond to you and they do nothing about it. I know God's looking at us all the time going, they're doing it again. Talking to the angels up in heaven, he's like, they heard me. They're just trying to ignore it. They said yes and didn't think I'd call them on it. <laughs> they thought yes meant maybe. If it fits. If I'm willing. I give you my yes as long as it makes sense to me. How can we have peace beyond all understanding if we're requiring to understand what he's asking? God, that doesn't make sense. Exactly. See, no one ever looks back on their life. No one ever looks back and says, man... I wish I hadn't given God my younger years. I, I wish I hadn't dedicated myself to him. 
I just regret not partying more. So many movies I decided not to see because I knew they were wrong. I, I really wish I'd have watched those now. No one does that. When you talk to people and they have regrets, they usually go, and I wish I'd actually given them everything instead of giving them something. I wish I'd actually meant the full yes I said I said. Said I said? Said I said. couple parables just just to throw it out there just so we can you know make it legal Matthew 13 again the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field all that he had how many of you would be willing to sell everything you have for a promise from God? Yeah. Be careful about raising your hand when I ask certain questions. God's watching. You may hear this audible voice that's like, do it. You're like, behind me, Satan. In Matthew 13, again, parable of the pearl and great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking for beautiful pearls. Who then, he found one, a pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Heard a testimony years back, and I love this. I don't know why I'm going to share this. It fits sort of. You know how things kind of sort of fit, but just go with it. Young man, um, preacher, he came to a church that I was at years before I was at Bethel. And he was talking about, I mean, this guy, this guy walked in signs, wonders. He'd, he was, I think, 29 years old. He'd seen dozens of people raised from the dead. I mean, he'd seen the weird and wonderful things. We talk about miracles, signs, and wonders. The truth is, a lot of times we focus on the miracles. Like somebody gets healed, wow, he saw signs and wonders. Like, hey, mountain, go over there, and it moved. He didn't see a mountain move. But he saw trees fall down to create paths. He walked on water. I mean, he, he actually was doing things that, have you ever heard somebody talking about something and you want to be like, yes, God. But inside you're like, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> it didn't happen to me. I'm more spiritual than he is. Um, sorry. But I mean, I'm listening to this guy going, wow, this is amazing. This is great. He's inspiring faith. And then he turns the story and he says, and then one day it all stopped. Everything stopped. He stopped feeling the presence of God. He stopped hearing the voice of God. He stopped seeing any type of miraculous movement through his life. And his, his life changed from this place of going, God, you're awesome. I'm wielding you like a sword to, are you there? Went on for a year. Nothing. Fully walking in what we would consider a high-level revival lifestyle to Nothing. And then God spoke to him and said, if I never talk to you again, 
if you never feel my presence, if you never see me or have any recognizable effect of me in your life, will you still follow me? I actually, this is going to sound crazy. I loved what this man said. Because what's the right answer? And he said, God, I don't think I can do that. Some of us want to be right when we talk to God, and you need to be real when you talk to God. See, some of you are afraid to tell God, I'm angry. I'm angry at you right now because you don't want to offend him. And he's right, so I don't want to argue with him. He's right. No, be real. The only way you'll ever get somewhere is being fully real. You cannot be fully loved unless you're fully known. You have to express who you are in every area so that you can be received in fullness. And he said, God, I don't think I can do that. God, I I don't think I can do that. Nothing for another six months. And he wrestled with his faith more than he ever knew was possible. And he would, he would just remember, God, I remember when you did this. I remember, you even spoke to me and said, if I don't anymore, will you? But he actually got to a place where he didn't know if he actually believed, but he believed. And when he finally settled it in his heart, that God, I will follow you regardless of anything I ever experience again. God came back in greater measure. And he's walking in crazy authority now. But when I heard that story, I mean, put yourself in that position. If nothing ever happened in your life that proved that God was real, would you still believe in him? Would you still follow him? Would you still love him? That's faith. That's surrender. That's knowing. If the greatest thing God ever lets you do is clean up after everyone in this service for the rest of your life, would it be enough for you to serve him? See, God wants everything from you. See, when God asks more of you, it's because he sees more in you. He's going to ask of you what he knows is in you. See, God never asks too much. Never asks too much. We have our scale of what's too much, and he has his. We see from a circumstantial, this is my life today mindset, he sees from eternity going, you have no idea what's there. He'll only ask of you what he sees in you. He wants to build a culture inside of you. He wants to build the kingdom of God inside of you. He wants you to carry something that is beyond what's capable here on earth. And it requires something. It's costly. The funny thing is, is that if you ever talk to somebody that's gotten to a place in God, they don't ever talk about the cost. Because the reward so far outshines the cost, it's not remembered. See, when we're looking at what's being requested, we see what's going to take to get there. 
But God doesn't do that. God's at the other side of the promise saying, just come here. It will be okay. God doesn't stand beside you towards a promise saying, well, I hope we get there. How many of you have those friends that you're about to do something stupid? I mean, daring, I'm, you know. And they're like, you first. Because they want to see if you're going to make it. See, I, I'd rather be with that friend that jumps and lands and they're good and they're like, come on, it's awesome. God's, God's calling you from the promise, not towards the promise. So when he's calling you and he's asking something of you, it's not saying, I think you can. He's already there saying, no, I see this fully alive in your life. I'm just asking you to come towards it. How many of you want to raise the dead? Some of you. Some of you afraid of dead people? The movies are wrong. They won't get you. Now, I say that jokingly, but I remember the very first prophetic word I ever received after being saved was, you're going to change nations, you're going to do this, you're going to plant churches, you're going to raise the dead, you're going to see miracles, signs and wonders, and I'm sitting there going, this is awesome, I'm going to hide as soon as this man shuts up. Because that was scary. How many of you, I mean, really, be honest, how many of you were kind of a little, a little terrified of what God's asking you to be? And that's because you're recognizing who you are, not who he said you are. You're recognizing who you see in the mirror, not who he sees through the throne. See, from the throne, he only sees perfection in the way he designed it. What we see is the problems, the circumstances, and the reflection in the mirror, which is just a portion of what we know now. We're not even recognizing what he can see from all eternity. It's only scary when you think it's you doing it. Do you really think God's going to call you to a scary place and leave you alone there? Before you were saved, you were an old wineskin. When you surrendered your life to God, you became a new wineskin. You became brand new. Something that was supposed to hold something brand new. See, wine is represented in the Bible so many ways, but I love, it's the love of God. It's the presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit. A lot of times is what the wine is in the Bible. New wineskins require wine. Otherwise, they're just a bag. When you see yourself as not capable, you're only seeing the bag. You're seeing the sack that was supposed to carry something. When God is like, I am the fullness of wine that will fill you up and make you what you're designed to be, if you will just say yes. Oh, man. 
I think somebody's getting doused in wine right now. How many of you want to be just filled with the new wine? How many of you get offended by drunk people? I used to. I used to think it was wrong for people to do that. That's not God. Then I read my Bible. See, we sometimes look at the word as the word in itself will speak 100% truth. No, the, the, the author is going to speak to you through the word. You know, when they say we are not drunk as you suppose, a lot of us are like, yeah, they're not drunk. How many of you have ever known a drunk person to look pretty civil? Maybe a couple, but most of them look foolish. They're staggering, they're slobbering, they're doing crazy things that they wouldn't normally do. How many of you know that when you are fully submersed in the wine of God, the presence of God, you will do things that you wouldn't normally do without him? I'm a little crazy. We all know this. But I, in my own mind, would not try to walk on water. I know what will happen. In my own physical self, if I walk on water, I'm actually just swimming. But I will tell you how many times I have walked, try, tried, I still haven't done it yet. I have actually looked at water and gone, I'm feeling tipsy. Because I got Holy Spirit in me, so hey, here we go. I still ended up swimming. It hasn't happened yet, but I normally would not try that. How many of you have read your Bible? Man, less people are reading their Bible every time I ask. Did some of you just go back and not read it now? How many of you have read where they do crazy things like, you know, praying for somebody to be raised from the dead? How many of you think that's awesome? How many of you would like to do it the way Elijah did it? He laid on the dead boy's body, palm to palm, lips to lips. How many of you are ready to do that? Trust me, you would need to have a lot of wine in you to make that call. I mean, how many of you are going to walk up dead body and be like, oh, I know how I can make that live. See, we have names for that, and they get arrested. Wow, we went way, uh, come back, Holy Spirit, come back. But, but see, we read the Bible in comfort and context. See, when we read that story, we know that he did it and the kid got up. Awesome story. I just have this thought that Elijah in the middle of this story was like, I'm going to do what? That's nasty. I know that kid ain't brushed his teeth. He's dead. <laughs> you cannot read this contextually and think, oh, the process is easy. See, we sometimes will read a chapter and think, man, God's amazing. They went through hardship, and the next chapter, they're blessed. And it was 10 years. And we're like, but God is a chapter-by-chapter God. The people in that chapter were like nine years into this going, he's not real anymore. 
He's left me. He's forsaken me. See, that's our expectation, having God, ex- God do things the way we want him to. The only time you can ever be disappointed in God is when you have set an expectation beyond what he offered. I'm giving you my full yes, God. I want it all. Can we do this chapter over chapter so it doesn't hurt? So it doesn't take too long? You want me to be a janitor for how many years before you actually release me to pray for someone? In this church, the only place that we require serving is in children's. And I'm, I'm plagiarizing this off of Seth Dahl. But the only place that we actually require serving is in children's. See, the challenge is, is that a lot of you are like, they're making me serve. See, the reality is like, God is up there going, no, I chose you to serve. Because I want to put a culture inside of you that develops you to be a kingdom on the earth so that I can work in and through your life and everyone around you gets impacted. But your response to having the kingdom be birthed and cultivated inside of you is, they made me do it. Some of you are way too busy to show up on Saturdays two hours ahead of service because it's inconvenient. I am not trying to condemn. I don't want anyone feeling guilty. This is not just here. This is who we are as a society in so many ways. The convenience of my life has to line up with the willingness of my actions. When God's saying, I want everything from you. I want extra hours. I want extra time. I want your money. I want your relationships. I want you to give up certain things because I want to fill that with other things. Now then, don't make that religious. God tells you, I want you to stop watching TV because I want more time with you. And then this person's like, TV's a sin. No, it's not. Nothing wrong with TV. He was supposed to let it go. Full yes, I like it. What God's going to require of you is not what he's asking your neighbor. It's actually going to be more. And this, I can say it like this. If I ask you to tithe, or not tithe, I don't want to mess this up. If I ask you to give an offering, to sow in right now, with the most extravagant gift you've ever had, and you get to use your neighbor's money, how much of you would go crazy? It's easy to give what they have. But then if I ask you to take that and give twice of that out of your own, oh man, it's going to cost you something. A full yes for God is going to cost you everything. And the cost will be insignificant for what comes out of your life. I, I don't want to live a life that's halfway. 
See, your calling is not really ever going to be found in your comfort zone. If you're comfortable, it's probably not your calling. I will tell you right now that your calling is probably find, found in serving. Because he's going to humble you first. See, how many of you hunger for God? I mean, you truly, you hunger for God. See, some of you are so afraid to raise your hand now because you're like, I know it's going to set up. This is a setup. You're going to get me. How many of you hunger for God? You want God. If you don't want God, why are you here? I'll let you know. I'm going to say this. It's stream, so it's going to be even funnier. I got hammered by someone that was visiting our church when I told them, if you're not here, fully sold out, wanting more of God, you shouldn't even be here. I got, I got an email to the church. I got a handwritten letter telling me it was blasphemy and I was horrible and I should never, I, whatever. Why are you here? Why did you, I mean, there's better things you can do on a Saturday night if you don't want God. If you want God, you're here because you're hungering. Something inside of you saying, there is more available in this life than what I currently know, and I want it. I want it. So how many of you are hungering for God? Where you're sitting right now is one of the most dangerous spots you can be in church. Because your life actually becomes activated when you start doing something with what you've gotten here. When God's come into your life, if it's not coming out of you, it dies. You want to be a river, not a pool. You do not want stagnant water inside of you. You want to be flowing with the presence of God and letting everything come in you go out of you. When you're in these chairs, you're receiving. If it stays there, it dies. If you don't know where to go and what to do, volunteer for something. If you don't know what God's next thing is for you, do what he just told you to do until he says something else. And spend time in his presence. God's calling us to action. I, I, we are not a normal church. You are not a normal person. I don't care if you're visiting here because somebody dragged you here. I don't care why you're sitting here tonight. You are here because God said you're not normal and you needed to hear that. You are not called to be a Christian potato in a chair. You are called to be a seed scattered around the earth causing fruit to explode. You are called to do something with God in your life. If you're here, it's because you are supposed to be equipped and activated and just called out to a place of living the fullness of God in your life. You are not supposed to sit in these chairs and just learn. 
This should be where you fill yourself up to release something new. I will tell you right now, your yes needs to be a private yes. If your yes is here, it's nothing. It's nothing. Because what you give in private becomes your public victories. When you give everything in private to him, he gives everything to you in public. You're never going to find somebody that's truly deep in God that is only an external Christian. They only do things in front of others. You have to grab a hold of this. You have to get a hold of this. I am not supposed to leave tonight normal. You know, some of you, you may not even be saved. Some of you are probably more deep in your relationship with God than I've known is possible. And all of us have the capacity of more. All of us. If your life doesn't require the people around you to ask the question, why are you different? You're probably not living a secret lifestyle with him the way you need to be. How many of you have ever, how many, well, how many of you ever played with glow sticks? Or uh, like, not glow sticks, how many of you have had like glow in the dark things? What do you have to do with the glow in the dark things? You have to put it up to the light. And then what do you do? You quickly run into someplace dark to see it. Things are flipped in the kingdom. When you spend time in private with the fullness, he said, I brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When you spend time in the marvelous light of God where no one else can see, he takes you to the dark places to be a shining example of who he is. We need to get crazy tonight. This is ridiculous. I don't like normal church. I love the church. I don't like church. I don't like services. Normal services irritate me. I remember for years I used to hate the preacher that would say, tonight could be the night. I'm like, man, every week for the last three years has been the night. How many of you, how many of you know what I'm saying? Like, almost every time you're around somebody, they're like, man, this is going to be the life-changing moment of your life. You're like, I've had one of those every day for, I still feel the same. The reason that is is because you're thinking that what's happening here is actually the change. What's happening here is supposed to challenge you to go make a change in your private life. This setting has breakthrough because the sovereignty of God is beautiful and corporate expressions and us corporately coming to God and saying, God, we love you, we trust you, we want you, we need you, come. He does, he honors that. But when you want actual life-changing effect in your life, something that shifts everything to the innermost being of who you are, it's not probably happening here. It's an invitation here to go find it in the private. And when you do, when you come back here, you actually become something that feeds so many other people in this place. I actually believe that this type of meeting 
would be something the world has never seen if our private lives were so intense with God that everyone come, came back full of his marvelous light. Because then it's not, we're not sorting through problems. We're not coming out of darkness. We're not working on broken people. We are fully alive and healthy in who he is. And if a whole room of fully alive, healthy people come together, oh man, what's about to happen? I want to see the church, and I'm calling this church to be an example. I want to see the church stop fixing the church. Because we actually take responsibility and go in our private times with God and let him do all the work necessary to where our problems are. We're not focused on fixing the church. We're focused on fixing the world. We're the example and not just the statistic. Because when you look at statistics from the world and the church, there's not a lot of differences. That's because our private time isn't where it needs to be. Because our public time is great. Our private time is what needs to shift. How many of you want to shift in your private time? I, this, I, this is what I feel like we need to do tonight. I feel like we need to make an invitation in a way to where you're going to take actual steps of faith and say, God, every time I step forward, I'm saying, I will make a change, and you're letting something go. See, on earth as it is in heaven, I love symbolism. On earth as it is in heaven. If I want what's in heaven to be on earth, I have to actually act like it's here. I have to believe it's here. How many of you want to take a step into something that invites you into a personal, deeper, personal relationship with God? Okay, so the rest of you, you can go home, have a great night, stop off at Torchies or something, enjoy some queso, whatever you want to do. I want everyone to participate in this. And this is why. I have been in a place many times where my inner man was screaming out, yes. But everything else in my life was screaming out, I, I can't do that right now. I can't, I won't, I shouldn't. It's too hard. See, those are all real voices that come. See, what the enemy can't destroy, he's going to distract. So... If he can't destroy your walk with God, he's going to distract you to think it shouldn't be where you're being called to be. And I want you to step past the distraction. I want you to step past that. I want you to actually sacrifice who you are in this moment to say, God, I'm going to step into something. I'm going to take steps of faith. And every step I take, I'm letting something go and receiving something. And what I'm doing is I'm actually, I'm actually answering an invitation so that when I leave here, my time out there changes. My time at home changes. How many of you struggle with time? Some struggle more than others. I like that. Be real. You guys all know we all have the same amount of time. See, we sometimes use the word obligation as an excuse, and we call it or we use obligation as an excuse when it's actually just a priority. So where's your priority? 
is your priority getting changed in the presence of God in your private time? If it is, you'll find time. We all have the same amount. There's no way that some people have more than others. Well, I think, it, I think, I think we're all going to come into a revelation of time to where we realize that God said we have all authority. Just, just put a bookmark on that one. We have all authority. How come we're not exercising that when it comes to time? Put that one on a shelf for later. We have the ability to prioritize our lives. If you don't know how, talk to someone. The worst thing you can do is hear something that inspires and triggers something in you, not know how to do it, and then walk away not doing anything. Talk to somebody. We have pastors. We have worship. Find somebody that you know is strong in their faith and you know their private time strong. Like, how do I do this? I don't know how to take the first step of changing my private time. See, it's great to hear these theoretical ideas, but the practicality is sometimes really hard to walk out. If you don't know how, ask somebody. Start small. Start with the simplest things. Sometimes you'll get advice and you're like, that's just dumb. Try it. If it's dumb, it'll surface really quick as dumb. But it may be that little step needed to actually bring revelation to you that's like, oh, well, that little thing may or may not, but I know that actually gives me opportunity to think this way and figure this out. So this is what I want to do. I want to do a fire tunnel tonight. Now, here's the challenge with fire tunnels. Everybody loves them because they're crazy, juicy, fun. Get sloshy, get drunk, get silly, get crazy. But you have to walk through this thing with the intention that every step you take is actually letting something go and you're stepping towards an invitation for private time with God. Now, I want to honor some people. A lot of you have children in here. And when we do fire tunnels, sometimes they go a while. And I believe that people sometimes miss out because they just, their kids are done, whatever's going on, and they just can't do it. So if you have children, what I want you to do is I want you to get up right now, go get your children, and bring them back and bring them through the fire tunnel. Because we are not just blessing the parents, we are blessing the families. I want your children, they didn't hear any of this, God doesn't care. He'll deal with the content, let them receive the impartation and the invitation for more. Because what's going to happen is some of you parents are going to be like, my kids are going crazy because they're having encounters with God all the time now. Now, this is not meant to call anyone out in a condemning way. This is meant for you to be fully honest and real. How many of you are either afraid or actually don't think that this is for you and you're not even sure you want to do the fire tunnel. Just be honest. Okay, good. Thank you for being honest. What I would ask of you is to just respond because I feel like God is actually making an offer and regardless on if it makes sense to you, if it feels right, or if it's something you even believe in, I believe that God is going to meet you in this time and actually show you something and expose something to you that's going to create a deeper hunger for time with him. So even if it's something you're struggling with, you're not sure you believe in or even want to do, I'm just asking that you would actually participate in this because I believe that what God wants to do is greater than our response. Now, 
God's calling all of you to walk through this thing. Your yes determines on if it's going to change anything. Because as you're walking through, I believe some of you are actually going to have promptings. Things are going to flash through your mind, and you're going to know, uh-oh, you want that? It's going to be hard for some of you. It's got to cost something. But I believe in you. See, I realized a long time ago the greatest gift that God ever gave me was to see as a father. So when I see people, I don't see them for their limitations. I see them for their potential. I see them for their promise. I see them for who they're designed to be, not who they are currently. So I believe in you. I believe that if you take these steps, that you're actually going to find a lifelong change tonight. And I believe that even though we hear that over and over and over, this is something different because you're not receiving it here. You're actually being invited, and you're going to receive it at home. You're going to receive it in those private times. But I believe even in the next few weeks, we're going to see a shift, not only in this church. I truly believe when we were called to move here, I truly had this thing on my heart. I believe that Austin is going to be the first city that is not known as having fatherlessness in it. I believe that we are going to be a city that demonstrates the fathering love of God through men. That the men in this city are going to be so stable in who they are as fathers that the nation is going to say something is happening in that city. Because one of the greatest falls of our time is fathers not being fathers. And the world will take notice when that happens. So I'm making a call to the men in this house right now. I'm saying if, if you will submit to the call that you receive through this and you make the yes to what he's asking of you, you personally are going to see such prominent change in your life that you will not be able to contain telling people about it. But I believe that this city is going to take notice of something going on with the people in this house right now. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com.